Good morning. If you will, turn with me to our text, which is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. It's Matthew 6, verse 33, a very familiar verse to us all, I think, this morning. And hopefully a message for us to begin this year. Matthew 6, 33 reads this way, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let us pray. O Lord, how great Thou art, how faithful Thou art, O Lord, to bring us to another year as a Lord who's not measured in time or measures things in time. We we as finite creatures do, and we thank Thee, Lord, for the times and seasons that Thou givest us and, and for what You provide in every one of them. And Lord, I thank Thee that You have brought our family back this week and to worship and we pray lord at this hour that you would be pleased to anoint this hour with thy truth to anoint it with thy spirit that lord you would lead us away from our thoughts and our minds and that that easily run upon the things of this earth and and the troubles that we have and the trouble that is all around us and lord we ask now that you would be pleased to bring us captive to thy feet to be instructed as the words of of thee are read this morning that you would be pleased to make them alive mind them for us this day O lord bring forth thy hidden mysteries and thy truths that only thou can quicken us to life as you are the life giver for this i ask in jesus name amen it's written in hebrews 3 13 But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that is exactly what sin does to us. It hardens us. The sin of unbelief, the sin of anger, the sin of of not trusting the Lord, the sin, all the sins that we can possibly think of that we commit daily, what it does in us is it hardens us against the truth it hardens us against the lord it hardens us against man and the writer of hebrews which i believe to be paul writes this and says to exhort one another daily and to exhort means to address or communicate emphatically urging someone to do something to warn or make urgent appeal So as the Lord has brought us into 2022, and this is the first time that the Lord has ordained that I speak to you, I come to you in exhortation, out of love, with this text on my mind and on my heart, seeking first the kingdom of God. And all these things, and we'll talk about what these things are, Jesus says shall be added unto you. And and I don't, I don't want you to miss the fact that these words are in red. I wanted, as the Lord prayed about the first message to bring forth, I know you guys met last week, but for the first one for me, I wanted to be the words of Christ, the instruction of Christ out of His Word. And so this is where He led me. And so we're going to look at the necessity, uh, the preeminence of Christ, And there's a lot of questions that Jesus asked today in this passage. He asked a lot of questions. And they're examining questions. I find that um, as I talk to people, 
about the Lord, the best way to approach people is with questions, just as the Lord did. It's not to sit and berate people or beat them over the head or try to influence them and tell them this is the way and it's the only way, but it's to ask questions just as Jesus did. What is going on in your soul? What does the Lord say to you in this passage? What is it that that the meaning that Christ has? Is that all it is? Is it the letter of the Word? And that's the question that I put forth to you today in our text. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So, this morning, if you'll turn back with me just a, well, it's a page in my Bible, you might be on the same page. My Bible has these little headings. And during this Sermon on the Mount, it's divided up in headings. And, it, and, it, and the writers of the translators of the Bible are trying to put them in little ideas or areas that Jesus was touching on. And man says, well, this is what he's talking about. And, and I say that just because my, my heading is called Anxiety in God's Kingdom. That's in this part starting in 24. Mine's labeled Anxiety in God's Kingdom. Well, it's, it's interesting that our great shepherd addresses in this wonderful sermon anxiety. And where is anxiety's place in the Kingdom of God? Now, we are filled with anxiety today. I mean, we... We have mandates in front of us. We have laws on the horizon that we don't agree with. We have unrest in our countries. country. We have physical problems going on in our bodies. We have disease that's all around us. We have financial hardships. We have um, scarcity of items. I find that I went shopping with Stephanie yesterday, and we make those comments to each other a lot of times. Some of the things we're used to buying is getting harder to pick up and harder to find. And that causes you some angst sometimes. It causes your mind to wander and say, oh, well, how bad can it get? Or how bad... And Jesus addresses that today. And what he, he condemns it is what He does. He condemns that as sin to be worried about tomorrow. And I know that hits home to us because we all have that part of us that does worry about tomorrow. But praise be to God, if we be in this kingdom, if the king of this kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our king in our life, we're not ruled by that old nature. We're not ruled by that anxiety, and we're not ruled by that sin. So that's what I want to look at today. And we're going to look at, start in verse 24, where Jesus says this very important word, no man can serve two masters. Now that's a fact. It's not debatable. It comes from God himself comes from the Lord Jesus Christ who says, no man can serve two masters. So it's not up for you to argue. You cannot serve the flesh and you cannot serve Christ at the same time. It's impossible. He tells us for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the world. Mammon is the riches of the world. Mammon is... Satan, mammon is whatever you put in there, idolatry is what the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about. Paul tells us in Romans 6:16, 6, he says, "Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, 
whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. He puts every man in two categories. You're either a servant of sin and unrighteousness, or you're a servant of righteousness, the servant of Christ, the servant of God. There's nothing in between. That's what Jesus is telling us. No man can serve two masters. Paul would later write after going through what he did in Romans 7 about that what he did he he didn't want to do and that which he didn't want to do, that's what he did. And we, we understand the warfare in that. We understand when we read that in our brother Paul, we say, wow, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I, I go through that too. I don't want to be that way. There's something in me that's telling me I don't want to live that way. I don't want this ruling in my life. I don't want... If there is something like that, that's the seed of Christ. That's the hope of glory speaking to you. Paul says in Romans 7, 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. That's the best that it gets down here on earth. The best it'll ever be. We always will have those two natures. We always will be a servant to one or a servant to the other. Jesus says no man can serve those two masters at the same time. And when you understand those words and when they hit home to you, you see the evilness, the wickedness of what it is to serve sin. Why is sin so bad? Because you're not following Christ. You have shunned the one. You have said to the one who died for your sins, who put, his, put himself on the cross, who laid down his life, that that's not good enough for you. I can't trust you. I won't trust you. I would rather trust myself. That's a servant of sin. But as I said before, praise be to God, when he sets up kingship and lordship in the life of the believer, you may stray to that at times. You may follow that flesh at times. But he, in his faithful love and his faithful power, will mortify that flesh. He'll put that flesh down. He'll reveal himself. He reveals himself of the Lord, as the Lord of life and the Lord of glory. So then he says, after he says this in 24, um, he goes to 25 and he says, Therefore, after saying that no man, you can't serve God and mammon. And remember what our text is. If you can't serve two, the exhortation comes, seek first the kingdom of God. Seeking is an action word. Seek the Lord. Seek his kingdom. Seek the king that rules upon this throne. And we'll talk more about that. And Jesus says, you can't serve God and man, therefore, therefore, because of this truth, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Does that mean you're not to worry about what to wear? Does that, not worry, but does that mean when we go to work, we're not working for these things? Is that what Jesus is saying? Just sit at home, do nothing, and I'll throw these things down, and that's what will be given to you. No. He's talking about the sin of worrying and the sin of unbelief that your heavenly Father, through His Son, will provide these things for you. 
That's the whole message of this passage. That's the message of us today as we move into this new year, not knowing, not knowing what it holds, but do knowing who holds it. And that's the important thing. The Lord is revealing to us, trust Him. Trust Him. Has He ever, has He ever let down the child of God? That's a question for you and I as examination, as you examine your life. Has the Lord been that strength for me? Has He been that pillar to me? Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. And here comes his first question. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Is your life more than that? As we worry about these temporal things and we stress over them, which the Lord condemns here as sin, we ask ourselves, is life more than things? Is it? Is life more than your job? Is life more than your family? Is life more than eating? Is life more than clothing? Is life more than all of these things that we've accumulated in our life? We've accumulated a lot. And when you look at all those things and you look back and you sit and you say and you take inventory, you say, oh, well, the Lord has been good to me. I've got this land, I own these vehicles, I own all these things. Is your life more than that? And, and, and that's what the tenor of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is all about. There's a life here on earth, but we are strangers and pilgrims to this life. This life isn't, isn't our life. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus. We have a home that the Lord will be the Lord of life to us in every facet, where there'll be no pain, there'll be no crying, there'll be no unbelief, there'll be no reason to fret or anything. We'll see Him as He is. We'll be known as we are known. But that's not where we are right now. So why does Jesus ask these questions? Is your life more than those things? And we sit and we go, oh, flippantly, we ask, yeah, of course it is. You can't define my life. But have you ever gotten in that rut? You get up every day or every Monday comes and you say, okay, here we go again. I'm back in the rat race. It's time to get back into work. It's time to go to work. And then you get so immersed into work and the things of the job. And all of a sudden, what's been neglected? And saw this kingdom. We hadn't sought Him first. It's preeminence. Christ will have the preeminence in the life of His church. He's the head. He is the cornerstone. He is the reason. He is the life giver. So that's what He's saying here. Is is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. Consider our Jehovah Jireh today. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. He provides for them. I thought, I thought about that a lot when I was up there in the mountains last week, and we were, look, you know, when you see snow, and you see snow-covered things, and you see how cold it is, and you see a lot of brown, not like here you look out and see a lot of green, you see a lot of brown around you, you don't see much green at all. And I thought about the squirrels and the birds and everything that we saw, the deer and the things. And we, 
you know, the Lord provides for them. And and even when, when you look at the dire situation that they're in, the Lord provides for them. He feeds them. And then He asks the question, the next question, are you not much better than they? Are you a, cre- a greater creation with a soul? Did He create man in His own image? Yes. And yet we fret like we're an animal sometimes. We worry about, oh, will, will the Lord provide for us? Or, or is there going to be enough? Or, or am I going to miss out? Then he asked this question again. 27, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And the translation to that last part is age to your life. It's, it's asking you, can you add days and times and age to your life? Is he the whole, Does he have the keys of life and death in his hands? Has he ordained your life? And I know a lot of people will read these things and hear those words and say, oh, that means I am to do nothing. That means all I've got to do is sit back and trust God. But that's man-centered. When Christ is your life, He's an energizing principle. He's the energizing life. He gives you life to go to work. He gives you life to do those things that He has provided for you. He gives you life to to face the the troubles that are around us with the COVID and, and all the uncertainty in man's eyes. The uncertainty. God has not lost control. Christ has not lost His reign. He's still reigning today. There's nothing caught Him by surprise. Which of you, by taking thought, by sitting down and planning out and scheming, which one of us can add any time to what God has ordained for us to live? Can we? Can we by working harder? And take that now to what you have. If truly David was right when he wrote in Samuel that, Lord, everything we have in this kingdom, that you have subdued all of my enemies, everything we have that we give to you in praise today is yours. What we're giving you in the praise and what we have is everything you've provided. If the Lord has done that for you, why? would we think we have to work harder, do more, jump higher, whatever it is? There's no rest in that. The rest is in the Savior who has given all things. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Here comes another question. Because now that he's addressed the food part, he goes over to the raiment. He says, why take you thought for raiment? Same argument. Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. You don't see them out there putting on garb, making themselves flowers, making themselves bloom. You you don't see that. The Lord brings the rain. The Lord brings the sunshine. The Lord brings the minerals out of the earth. The Lord does it all. Consider them. They toil not, neither do they spin. They're not out there making their garment to put on. And yet I say unto you, and Jesus uses Solomon. Why? 
He was the greatest king ever in Israel in the most prosperous time. They were the greatest country in the world at the time Solomon was reigning. Every country gave obedience unto Israel. So Jesus brings up Solomon. And he says, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory, in the glory of his kingdom, in everything that was given to him, it was not arrayed like one of these that the Lord has taken care of. Nothing that Solomon ever had or was given to him is equal to what the Lord gives, is basically what he said. We fret a lot of the authorities that are over us. We do. We fret about, we fret about the president. We fret about, right now we don't have much to fret about our governor. Hopefully we won't have much in the future. But we fret and we worry and we complain about those who are in power. Because we don't see the kingdom of God. We're not seeking the ruler of the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's why Jesus put that in. Not our righteousness. Not what we think things should be. Seeking the ruling king and His righteousness. What's the promise? All these things will be added unto you. What things? The things we've been talking about. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you who he designed to have life? He just talked about the grass was designed and it was thrown in the oven. We're talking about wheat. One day it's growing, the next day it's cut down, the next day it's thrown in the oven. It's designed for death. What are you and I designed for? Life. Oh, we're designed to live. And Jesus says, if you're designed, how, he, how shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? There are times you look at that little saying there, O ye of little faith, and you say, wow, I, I don't want little faith. Oh, but there are times I praise God for that little faith. Just that morsel, just to say, Lord, I know I don't know how you'll do this. I don't know how Romans 8.28 applies here. But I know you'll do it. Sometimes we think we have to have all the answers. It's not given to us. Except the kingdom of God. He's ruling. We may not know the way he's ruling until he reveals it down the road. But what we do know is he's ruling for our good. He's designed us to live in him. O ye of little faith, therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal at all shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. All the nations seek these things. Every man that lives in this life seeks the same temporal things that you do. For your heavenly Father, who's omniscient, knows that you have need of all these things. So now that we've talked about what those things are, and whatever they are, the temporal things, now Jesus says what he says in our text. But there's an alternative to living as all the nations live. And that's called living in Christ. Living upon Christ. Living by and through and upon Him. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. 
seek it. Desire his lordship, his kingship in your life. Listen to what David said in Psalm 27, 4. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's union. That's not a place. That I may dwell in the bosom of my Lord. That I may dwell in his thoughts. That I may dwell with him in union all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I want to live in worship to my Lord. That's what I desire. That's the desire I talk about today when when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. There's some things I want to say about this kingdom this morning. The first one I want to say, let's go, we're going to go to a few places. Let's go to Luke 17. Hold your finger in this place. We'll definitely be back to our text. But let's go over to Luke 17 real quick. And let's just pick up in verse 20. We're only going to read a couple of verses here. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, When the kingdom of God should come. You know, they kept waiting for a kingdom. And the kingdom had already come. It was right in the the midst of them. Of course, they could not see it. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. Isn't it something how much time we spend in our lives in observation? Waiting for things. Waiting for things to happen. Waiting for things that we think are going to happen. We take a scripture out and we, we say, oh, this must be a literal interpretation of it. This is going to come about. We waste so much time. Jesus said, the kingdom of God, he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. He answered, the kingdom of God comes not with observation, meaning they wouldn't see it. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That had to blow their minds that the kingdom of God is within you. What could that possibly mean? What is seeking first the kingdom of God? It's the king of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's within his church. That's what he has set up in our lives. That is what he has set up. That's his kingdom, his ruling kingdom. And it rules over all of this earth. And all of this earth can't see it. Only those whom he reveals it to. That, to me, that that doesn't make me proud and haughty. (laughs) That makes me fall down and say, Lord, why would you choose me? Why is it I can see the kingdom? I'm definitely no better than the guy preaching on the street corner. I'm no better than the guy that's at the bank giving loans to people that need money. I'm no better than the person in the hospital healing people or giving them medicine. Or Why me? Why me? You ever think of that? Why has the Lord chosen me to reveal himself to and set up his kingdom in my life? Who am I, Lord, that you would do such a thing? That's what the gospel does. It humbles the child of God. You'll see that here in a minute. 
And as I said, these are just observations of this kingdom. So the first one we have is the kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom, even though it has a real king. It's a spiritual kingdom. And he rules. And he rules over all of this earth today. And he rules over his people. Is he the king of kings and is he the Lord of lords in your life? Turn with me back now. Or am I going to Matthew? Let's see. Yeah, Matthew 13. I have some other things to say about this kingdom. Because Jesus said these things. and Let's look at verse 44. He says again, the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of God, those two, Matthew used them interchangeably all the time in his gospel. They mean the same thing. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which, when a man hath found it, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he has, and he buys that field. Now let's look at that kingdom. Let's look at that gospel. What is it that he's speaking of? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The gospel and the rulership of Christ in your life is like a treasure. But it's hid in a field. What is that field? Well, we're looking at it this morning. We're holding it in our hands. It's the Word of God. Jesus is hidden in the pages. He's hidden in Genesis 3.15 where it speaks of Him bruising the head of the serpent. It's hidden in all of the types and shadows of the Old Testament. He's hidden all throughout the Word. And He praised, He looked up to His Father and He rejoiced and He said, I thank You, Lord, that You've hidden this truth and You've just revealed it unto Your babes. You've revealed it unto your people. This parable tells us a lot. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field that when the man has found it, when it's been revealed to him, he hides it in his heart. Like the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And that might not just takes the presumption out of it, doesn't it? That I won't sin against you. No, that I might not, Lord. You know, my frame, that I'm dust. You know that I'm totally dependent upon you to deliver me. When he has found that, he hides, hides it. And for joy, he goes and sells all that he has. He sells all that he has. That means all of his allegiances that he has, whether it's allegiance to work, whether it's allegiance to idols in his home, whether it's allegiance to idols in his life of of other things, he sells them all. He counts them all as dung that he may win Christ. He sells all he has. And I want you to notice something. He doesn't buy the treasure. He buys the field. You cannot separate the treasure from the field. So much of religion today separates God and Christ from this Word. And you cannot. You cannot separate. Christ said, these are the Scriptures that speak of Me. Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of Me. Search these Scriptures. They testify of Me. I am the Word. I am the bread of life that has come down. 
Jesus said, I am not separated. This is where Christ is revealed in His Word. And shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is what the Lord has breathed life into for His people. The inspired Word of God. How can we neglect such a treasure? Remember what He said, when the Lord reveals Himself to you, you sell every, all your allegiances and you hide. You say, this is, this is what I want. This is my joy. This is my desire. That's what we talked about with David. Said This one thing have I desired. David was a king, a rich king. He had conquered so many things, nations, animals, whatever it was. There's one thing he desired. That was his Lord to reign in his soul and his heart. The kingdom and his righteousness to be revealed to him. He goes and sells all he has. And he buys that field. The entirety of the field that reveals Christ. The treasure that's hidden in the field. Again, 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man. Seeking goodly pearls, who when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's probably a good ten, over ten years ago, I preached a sermon from this passage revealing that the one, the merchant man, was Christ himself. That Christ sold all. That Christ paid all. That Christ, when he sought out his church, he laid down his life for his church. But, does it have meaning to us? Absolutely. Because if we be in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. We walk in the same path Christ walks. Everything that Christ went and did, He has for His children that will do and will take place in our life. So yes, this is, this is again speaking to one who has been revealed the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like a merchantman seeking goodly pearls. He's going about his life and he's seeking that great pearl, that one thing, the greatest riches in all the earth. And when he had found one pearl of great price, one singular pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Much like the last one. I sell all I have for this field, this treasure. He saw this pearl greater than any pearl that he's ever seen before. That's the examination this morning. Has the Lord revealed that kingdom? Has He set up that kingdom with His King reigning in that kingdom in your soul? That you would seek it above all things. Because the promise is everything else will be added unto you. And then we are reminded in the last part here, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the age or the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Which gives 
gives us all a good reminder. The Lord knows His who are in His kingdom. We don't. We're exhorted again not to separate in the kingdom of God. We can't. The Lord looks on the heart. He separates the good from the bad. If truth be told, and I was sitting down to separate the good from the bad, there are many days, more days than than I could number, that I would certainly put myself in the bad. Certainly. The Lord knows them that are His. In His kingdom, those wheat and those tares, they grow right next to each other here on earth. And that tear looks just like that wheat. The only difference is the wheat has seed. It has the seed of Christ reigning in its life. How do I know that? How do you know that? The Lord separates in this kingdom. Let's go back to our text. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Yes, we are very dependent in this kingdom. Jesus said in Luke 18, 17, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter in. And let me tell you something. As you are out there in the world, and as you are looking at people, and as you are meeting people, and as you are hearing people, the gospel humbles. The gospel humbles the child of God. If you meet someone who's constantly telling you what they've done in the kingdom and who they are and how, what they have, they haven't been revealed this kingdom. Not yet. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter in. What is that child to his parent? It's dependent. We're dependent upon the Lord for everything. Everything. That's a mark of a child of God. Dependent. Humbled by what the Lord has done and given him. But all this would be for naught if it wasn't for Jesus' words in John 3, 3 and 5. Jesus said this, When he was talking to Nicodemus, he answered and he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he must have new life, must be given a new heart. He cannot see the kingdom of God. That's why they came to Jesus saying, Where is the kingdom? How are we going to see it? When's it going to happen? Man can't see it unless he's born from above. And then in verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We can't see it and we'll never enter into it without the Lord, the birth of the Holy Spirit in our life, revealing to us Christ Jesus, who is the King of our life, the King who has set up His kingdom in our life. So as I said from the beginning, as we come very close to the end of this message, that my heartfelt exhortation to you this morning is to seek first this kingdom and His righteousness. Don't ever forget that phrase because that's the defining of the kingdom 
It takes man out of it. <laughs> it's his righteousness. And then the promise is fulfilled. That all these things that we fret about, all these things that we worry about, I love those two words, shall be added unto you. If my Lord says it shall be, it shall be. Now like you and I, we can say it shall be and not actually be able to follow through with our promises. But the Lord is the promise keeper. He's always faithful to his people. May the Lord's power come to you. I end today in verse 34 as he summarizes and says this. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Well, that's hard, isn't it? We're already thinking about a new week. We're already thinking about what's, what's on the horizon. But Jesus says something about the morrow. He says two things, actually. The first one's very comforting. The morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. That means tomorrow will be what it will be. You're not going to change it. You're not going to alter it. You're not going to alter it in your favor. And thank God we're not going to mess it up either. Take no thought for tomorrow. The morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And if you are a weary, tried child of God, as I believe that the Lord's revealed that in my life, you know what that means. Every day is filled with the wickedness within and the wickedness without. There's enough evil today in my life that I don't need to look for tomorrow. I got enough to not worry about, but to fight against this day. Once again, our text, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Dear Heavenly Father, most gracious and holy Lord, add thy power. O Lord, keep us near to thy side as we endeavor in this new new year. Lord, may you bring forth thy kingdom in our life. Reveal to us thy truth. Reveal to us thy kingship and thy lordship. Make us submissive servants unto you, Lord. Humble us before you. And Lord, may we always hear thy voice as you enable us to follow you. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.